He looks determined without being ruthless. Something heroic in his manner. There's a courage about him. Doesn't look like a killer. Comes across so calm. Acts like he has a dream. Full of passion. You don't trust me, huh? Well, you know why. I do. We're not supposed to trust anyone in our profession anyway. Peace, 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 and welcome to The Rematch, which is part of the BasketballNews.com podcast network. On The Rematch, you'll hear in-depth interviews with notable names from all walks of life. Because sometimes the media just doesn't get it right. The Rematch is that second opportunity to clarify, put things in proper context, correct fake news or misreported controversy, the media still exists as the most powerful entity on earth because they control the minds of the masses. I'm Atan Thomas, and the full truth is what we are aiming to catch. Many media stories omit details that would dilute their clickbait roar, and that's why there's a need for the rematch. Today, I'm joined by my old teammate with the Washington Wizards, Larry Hughes. We started off by examining the basketball relationship of LeBron James and Anthony Davis and comparing them to the failed superstar pairings of the past. We explored the connection he had with Gilbert Arenas and why it transferred so well on the court. We also discussed Wizards GM Ernie Grunfeld's huge mistake in not resigning him as he failed to see what the late A. Poland, all of his Wizards teammates, including myself, and everyone else in D.C. could clearly see, which was his level of importance to that Washington Wizards team. We also discussed what he saw in a young LeBron James when he joined the Cleveland Cavs, how LeBron connected with his much older teammates, and how he became a young leader on that very veteran team. We also explored the absence of black NBA coaches and the importance of coaches connecting with players, which is something Doug Collins struggled with in comparison to Eddie Jordan during our time with the Wizards. This was a great discussion as we covered a wide range of topics. Hope you enjoy. Look, what's going on, sir? How you doing? Hey, what's going on, man? Good to see you. Hey, man, good to see you too, man. Thanks for coming on on with me today on the, on the rematch with um, Fly TV and BasketballNews.com. I appreciate you taking the time. Everything good with you? Everything good, man. You know, anytime, I told you, anytime you need me, I missed that first message, man. I, you know, oh, that's all good. <laughs> any, anytime, man, appreciate you having me on. No, you just had me on your podcast, and it was a great discussion. Uh, tell everybody a little bit about your podcast before we get started. Yeah, Believe in Wizards podcast uh, just started, you know, right as the, the pandemic started. Uh, it was geared to talk about, you know, the ins and outs of Wizard basketball and, you know, how the team is performing and a little insight, you know, kind of behind the scenes on how a professional basketball player looks at the game, uh, you know, for the fans in the area. So we've just been talking about different topics and the bubble and, you know, our social uh, injustices and things that are going on in the country and uh, right. our Wizards. So it, it's been a good experience. That's good stuff, man. It was a great conversation. So I encourage everybody to check that out. Um, so I want to talk to you about a lot of different things. There, there have been a lot of discussions uh, about the basketball relationship 
um, between LeBron and Anthony Davis this season and how they are able to exist without jealousy or envy or, you know, counting each other's touches or plays called for each other and stuff like that. They're just on the same, you know, um, kind of level. And we've seen it work and we've seen it not work before. So we've seen situations like, you know, Shaq and Kobe and, you know, LeBron and Kyrie and um, KD and Westbrook. But we've also seen successful basketball relationships like you and Gilbert Arenas and Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars and Magic and Kareem and Bird and Mikhail. You know, there's plenty of good examples, um, but we've seen both. And I want to ask you, why did it work so well with you and Gilbert? Well, I think for us and a lot of those those other groups that you mentioned were, um, you know, before the social media buzz and before, you know, everything was about a like or a share or just allowing, you know, so many people, you know, in, in the business of what goes on. So that was kind of pre, you know, just opening up the, the, the space to, to everything that, that's happening with you. And it is about, you know, about a relationship. It's about kind of that first you know, you never get a, a, a second chance to make a first impression sort of thing. So mm-hmm. it was really about our first uh, actual meeting, our first actual encounter. And I feel like I'm a good judge of, of character, of person, uh, just in my, you know, in my entire life. So when we met, there was an automatic connection of, okay, you know, young dude, you know, kind of wild, but, you know, genuinely he sent, he, he, he let off a good energy. And that's what, you know, kind of start to, you know, build, you know, build our relationship. So this is going back to Golden State. This is back for, uh, you know, a while ago. And he was, you know, help, help me out. He, his first, you met him like his first year or first, second year. What what was it? Yeah, no, I was already there. I had, had came in and, and played a season there in Golden State. Um, you know, and I was kind of a, a laid back, kind of a chill, chill guy. And that's, you know, that, that's how I am. So when Gilbert was drafted, um, they, I guess they had already knew he was a wild boy. So when he was drafted and, you know, I think he had got in, you know, in contact with some of the staff, you know, he had worked mm-hmm. out there a few times before the draft. So mm-hmm. he had made some relationships and, you know, the, the team ended up drafting him. So, but they knew his story. And, and uh-huh. when he was drafted, he immediately went out and he basically just spent everything that he was, he was going to make. So, you know, you get your, you get your money from your agent or whatnot. That's kind of your little money to hold you off until, you know, you get your first check and that's how it right. You know, that's how it goes. Uh, being a guy that Gilbert is, he spent all of his money. I mean, he spent it all in, in, in one shot. I mean, I know he bought an Escalade, like an aquarium. I mean, he just went all out and it was, it was gone. So when I got to town, they were like, Hey, you got to talk to this guy and you got to make sure this guy's all right. And again, like I said, it goes back to golden state. So when we, we met, I knew what his story was. I knew what he was struggling with. He just got dropped with a bunch of money and he was trying to figure it out while, you know, trying to make an NBA team because it wasn't anything that was guaranteed. Uh So, you know, we just connected at that level. And so fast forward a little bit to the Wizards because on the Wizards, y'all both were already established. You know, y'all both were already, you know, you could say two alpha males. You could say, and that's in in this comparison with LeBron and AD, you know, people were kind of looking for reasons for it not to work. And LeBron came out recently and said, well, we're not jealous of each other. And he said, you know, we're happy for each other and we're not counting each other's stats and counting each other's touches. And I didn't really see that with y'all at all. You know, we were teammates in D.C. 
it seemed like y'all just kind of vibed off of each other on the court and had that connection on the court. Is that true? That's that's really true. You know, I, I really wanted him. I mean, I looked at him as a, as a little brother. So I, I really wanted him to be successful because I knew where he came from. And it goes back to our relationship at Golden State. And I heard a story about Bron and, and AD when AD was talking about traveling to one of Bron's camps, uh, you know, from Chicago and just that interaction. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, now AD has this respect for Bron and Bron obviously brought a young kid in from Chicago. Now he's built that respect. So mm-hmm. years later, you know, they've had they, they have a foundation of, of respect, you know, a guy traveling in, you know, competing at a camp. And then, you know, now, you know, today being one of the best players to play. So they have a foundation. And with me and Gilbert, it was a it was a foundation. We had established a relationship. You know, I was there before he got his big bag. You know, what I'm saying I was there when he was when I was giving him bags of clothes, to, you know, to make sure he was straight. Right. So once we got to D.C., it's like. Like, I really want you to go. And then, right. you know, it takes, you know, I think having a, a solid foundation is, is really where, it, you know, where it's at. And however you build that, whether it's done in the summertime, when you get drafted, however you build that foundation, you know, helps you later on, you know, when you get into, you know, the talk of, of the NBA and how all of the, the noise kind of creeps in. So what's your interpretation of why it doesn't work so many times? I mean, you know, we don't have to go through case by case, but there's been some cases where it's like, man, if they would have stayed together, you know, I mean, of course, the first one is Shaq and Kobe, you know, because I still think they would have had the dynasty that, you know, would have been amazing. But then you have to go with, you know, Kyrie and LeBron, you know, I mean, that that was one where I thought they had a good thing going. But obviously there was a lot of inside things that weren't working. And why? Why do those situations happen? I think it's the the noise, you know, the the outside noise, whether it's from, again, like we talk about, just everything is, is you know, there's a camera everywhere, so everything is dissected down to the T now. So, you know, it, it's the noise of, you know, the different camps. It's the noise of, of you know, the, the different personalities that, that guys have. I mean, just being able to gel and being able to, you know, really express themselves or express their feelings. Like if you have an issue with the guy at that moment, if you talk about it, it's better than, you know, not talking about it and then waiting 15 games to, mm-hmm. to now have a conversation. But That's by good. that time, you know, there's there's really no going back and there's no repairing that relationship because you know how close an NBA locker room is. You know how how much time we spend together and to go, you know, 15 games without addressing an issue you know, is a lifetime. So that's I think true. that that's a lot of times that's what happens is guys, you know, they don't address whatever the issue was. And I could tell GA, like, look, man, hey, you got to pass the ball. Like, look, you know, you know, Brendan was open, man, just throw the ball up. Mm-hmm. And he would be like, okay, he wouldn't take that as a, as a negative slight on him not being able to do his job. Right. And I think it's, it's really about the relationship and the personalities. Does, does one have to play – Batman and one have to play Robin, or can you have two Batman? I think you can have two Batmans, man. I, I think if, if we all are in go mode, like, and we're all saying, let's let's get it, like, people can place a label on whichever player, like the outside world. And that's again, I'm talking about the noise, right? You can't call AD and Bron. You can't say there's a Batman and there's a Robin mm. because it just doesn't apply. But they're two of the, the stars on the team, but that that just won't apply because 
the greatness that they have. I mean, you just can't put that sort of label on those guys. And it looks like to me that they're not accepting, you know, that label. They're going out with what their team goals are. And I right. think that that's what's making them rock and roll. But in, in your situation, at least to me, being being a teammate, it seemed as if Gilbert still deferred to you. Um, and I, I remember when we played the, the Bulls in the playoffs and in 2005, I believe it was, 2005. And that was a good team. That was a good young team. They had a young Tyson Chandler and um, Eddie Curry. That was when they were real young. Luol Dang, Kirk Heinrich. They had a good team. And I remember we went down there. And we got smacked two games, two games straight in Chicago. And it was ugly. You know what I mean? And so in the locker room, I remember Gilbert panicking. And I remember on the plane, Gilbert panicking. And you had this, like, calming effect on him. You're like, no, we're going to be all right. Make a few adjustments. Everything be all right. And he was like, okay, okay, all right, cool, cool. You know what I mean? And it was just, and he just, I saw him literally go from panicking to being relaxed. And I haven't seen anybody have that effect on Gilbert. You know, I played with him for many years. Like, what, how was that connection with y'all that you had that calming effect where he would defer to you in, that, in a situation like that? Man, it's the foundation that we built. Like, it's the foundation that we built. Like, I would make sure that he ate. Like, you know, because he was a guy, again, coming in on, on not guaranteed. So sometimes he would, you know, not eat so he could preserve his per diem, you know, on the road. Oh. In order to be as great as you need to be, you need to eat like you right. need to have energy. So for me, like he he knows that, like, I'm going to make sure that he's good. So if we're talking about basketball terms and I say something. He automatically relates that to L not going to tell me something that just is going to hurt me or is, is not going to be for for everybody. And that's the that's the relationship that we have, because he knows that. If he, you know, if he needed, you know, a, a coat on his back or he needed a meal, like he needed somewhere to stay, like he knew that I was the place to go. Right. So you put that in the basketball sense, like he know I'm not going to steer him in the wrong direction. You know, it was interesting. I remember that first game we came back um, from Chicago. And I remember I was having a good game in that first half, that, that first game back. And he wanted to keep going at Kirk Heinrich. Him and Kirk Heinrich was doing a little, you know what I mean? So he wanted to keep going. And you was like, um, you was like, hey, ET has a hot hand. Let's go on back to him. And you said it so calmly. And he was like, okay, okay, all right, cool, cool. And then it, you know, and but it was like, Gilbert didn't do that. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying it was just, it was just something completely different. And it was amazing seeing that connection that y'all had. And I was, it's, it's interesting. I was interviewing um, Coach Jordan. I interviewed our old coach uh, here on the rematch, and he said something. And we both agreed with this. And I want to get your opinion. We both agreed that if you were there, that gun incident would have never happened. Now, that's just our personal opinion, you know, but what do you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, yeah not on my watch. Not, not, not on my watch. That, that wouldn't have went down. That, that, right. that wouldn't have went down. Whatever, whatever the issue was, um, you know, it just wouldn't have went down. I mean, right. I, like you said, we, we've been in the heat of a battle of this discussion about anything. And I know for a fact that if I'm there, that doesn't happen because we're going to have a conversation about it. And, and he's going to 98% of the time, you know, take in what I have to say. And that, that, that incident doesn't happen. Yeah. And, that, and that's the, you know, cause when, and I, we've talked about this before, you know, I saw 
the difference when the Wizards didn't resign you. And when you left, and it was, I think people undervalued your level of importance. When I say people, I mean Ernie Grunfeld. All right, let's be honest. So I'll say, let me rephrase that. I think Ernie Grunfeld <laughs> didn't you know, value your importance to the entire team, um, to Gilbert. I mean, because A. Poland, A. Poland wanted to sign you. Like, uh, it was funny, because uh, Jordan told the story of uh, um, A. Poland, I guess, was in a, a surgery at that time afterwards, and it was during the free agency period. Have you heard this story? I Listen, I just heard this story and kind of the, the combinations and the lead up to this story. G.A. told it, but I ran into Eddie Jordan. Okay. G.A. The, the combine last year, and he told me parts of the story. Also. Okay. So he laid it out to me when I interviewed him here on the rematch. And I, he said he came out, and the first thing he said was, did we sign Larry? That was the first thing he said when he came out of the surgery. Like, he wanted to. But Ernie Grunfeld, I, he, he gave you that low ball offer, and it was I was just like, and I think everything kind of changed. Like, y'all had this great chemistry everything like that. And I just, I, I shake my head at it sometimes. Like, yeah, that he, he should have never left Washington. That's what I think. Yeah. Those, those are those times, uh, you know, th those are those times. And that, and that's why when I watch now and I see how guys go through the process and, you know, as far as free agency and what they, what they're doing, like I, I take value in that because I know that, you know, those decisions are, are, are split decisions. They come down to very small things. And some of the things you value more then than you would value now. Okay. Like one of those big things is like when you, you're on a team, you're on a pretty good team, you start to build culture and you've been there a couple of years, mm -hmm. like you can't give that away unless you completely have to. Right. That's, that's how I, you know, that's what I've learned from, from that experience too. But I don't fault you with that. I fault Ernie Grunfeld. That's, that's oh, I, you okay. know. <laughs> they knew they knew that I did not want to negotiate. And that's, that's part of just me being me. If there's a fair value, you know what's out there. You guys know the business side. If there's a fair value, bring it on. I'm with it. Let's sign it. Let's do it. Right. You come below what the space is saying, then you got to know I'm gone. Right. You got to know. Just if you know me, you got to know that that's, that's probably it. We're not going to have any more conversation. And it wasn't even just a little bit below. It was a lot below. I was like, why would, why would, you know, it's, it's crazy. We don't have to spend too much time on it, but it was just unfortunate. You know what I mean? It really, it was just terrible decision by Ernie Grunfeld all around. But, but let's, let's switch gears a little bit. So then you went to Cleveland and you were teammates with LeBron and, you know, y'all played three or four years, uh, three years, three years with him. And, you know, what was that like? What was the relationship with LeBron? Um, he was a young LeBron then, but what was the relationship like? Man, LeBron was learning, man. He would, you know, he wanted me, he wanted to play with me, you know, and that was part of my decision of leaving Washington because I knew how I could see what this guy was about to do. And I knew what, what I wanted to accomplish as well. And that was ultimately winning a championship. Mm. So coming in, like, he had that he had that glow. But for, for us being teammates, I think it was um, he was a guy that, that took a lot of time to listen to people and to have conversations, you know, through all the guys within the locker room on the plane, because it was a it was a veteran group. And a lot of guys were, were from different places. David Wesley, Scott Pollard, um, uh, Hendo, 
Um, you know, all of these guys had different experiences, but what Ron did was he would go and he would have conversation and he would listen. And he brought to the table, you know, it all matched up. So mm -hmm. it was so so it was more of of him taking in all of the information and then starting to apply it to you know the God given talents that 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 he had, and that's what made it a, a good connection. All right. So compare your your relationship, your basketball relationship with uh, LeBron than with Gilbert. Was it a little bit different, or were there some similarities? Yeah, it, it was different because we didn't have that foundation, right? Mm -hmm. We we didn't have that foundation. That was the first time, you know, really meeting LeBron is you know the first time we got into the practice, you know, the practice arena, the practice gym to to play, you know, the scrimmage. Mm -hmm. uh, so the foundation wasn't you know as, as tight. Uh, but he was a young he was a young kid. I mean, he was you know coming in trying to figure out you know how great he was actually going to be. And what I liked about LeBron initially is that he listened to everybody. Like he would go around and you know, different teammates and, you know, have a conversation about basketball. There's different guys, you know, just played, you know, different years uh, and he would listen. And for me, that was big because he was taking all that in and then, you know, putting it with the youth and all this, you know, hoopla that, you know, that he had coming in, you know, he was merging the two of those together. And he was, a, I mean, he was a, he was a good team. He was a good teammate. He was a good teammate. That's what's up. That's what's up. And he was, and I, you know, I got to keep remembering he was young then. That was young LeBron. So he was just really coming into his own, but you saw the, the, the dedication and you saw like the, you know, being a student of the game, but he was learning then. Yeah. So that was, that was, that was the difference, right? Yeah. But we knew that we were there to support what he could do. Right. We knew right. that, that he had the ability to play basketball at a high level. So we, we were there to support what he was doing. Right. And it was young LeBron. So he was trying to figure it out. Right. I was playing with Brown. He was, you know, coming off the screen, shooting, you know, one foot, you know, three pointers and, you know, just we live and die with it. Right. Now he's he's matured and he understands the game and all the things that he's talked about now, as far as those experiences early on, you know, he's, you know, he's what he is now today. But man, you could see that, you know, you can see that early on. But what kept some of the veterans from not, you know, wanting to yield, you know, that power to somebody so young, because that's what happens a lot of times on different teams. You have veterans that have been established, that have been doing things for a while, and then you have this young cat coming in, and they're like, well, you know, he'll, he'll get all the shots now. What makes him? But what, what, you never really heard that with LeBron on, on any of the, the, the teams that he was playing, especially with, with, with Cleveland. What kept that from happening? Uh, I think conversation, man. I think conversation, right? We all want to, we all want to get out there and show what we can do. We all want to get out there and we want to, you know, if it's our job to, to, to average 20, we all want to want to average 20. Mm -hmm. But in reality, there's a pecking order in which things are done and how things are filtered and how the order of operations run. Right. And you have to acknowledge that or understand that that's how things are going to be. You can still be great within that, you know, within that function, mm -hmm. because if you're at the professional level, if somebody's not going to give you something then you're going to go out there and, and attempt to take it. So whether it's minutes or, you know, shots or whether it's, you know, being on the defensive end, like you have to figure that out as a professional player, but, you know, don't mistake that, you know, there's not a pecking order within, you know, an NBA roster. Like we know that there's a guy that comes first and then things kind of filter down and, and, and that's how, 
you know, that's how you maneuver, but that's how you become successful as well, because everybody has to buy in. You don't necessarily have to like it, but you have to buy into that process of making whoever's supposed to shine and making sure that they shine bright. But people don't always accept that, though. So what was different about LeBron that made people accept that? Um, I think he's had his battles, you know, for, for, I think he's had his battles with, you know, like you said, like you mentioned, like a Kyrie. Right. But for me, in, in our instance, like we had older guys, like I mean, we had like, you know, Eric Snow, you know, Ira Newville, uh, David Wesley, Scott Pollard. Like these are all the guys like we, we look at those teams and, you know, Big Z was there. Like we look at those teams and like there's not really a, a flamboyant ego. There's not really anything that's going to, you know, you know, break the chain of what we're actually trying to do. Like, it's not going to get that bad where, you know, we would have a complete issue, a complete blow up or meltdown because there's an issue with Brian, you know, taking a few more shots than he would normally take because shit, half the time he was making the shot. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, it's interesting co to compare because then say going back to our Washington days, right? And when MJ was there. Yeah. And so MJ and Stackhouse, they didn't quite vibe the way that, you know, everybody thought the way that they thought that they were going to. Um, and you were there for that. What did you, what was your interpretation of why that happened as opposed to like the year before when Rip was there and Rip still got his points, still got his touches, but there was a different relationship with him and MJ. You know what I mean? So I'm, yeah. just, I'm, I'm comparing the different relationships of why certain you know, duos don't work and why others do. And yeah, I just, you know. I, I think it's just different personalities. I, I mm. think that I really do. I think it's different personalities. Um, coaching has something to do with that. Right. I mean, we played, you know, when MJ was there, I mean, we had Doug Collins, right? I mean, right. Like, like, we knew that MJ brought Doug Collins in there so he could play for Doug Collins. Mm. And Doug Collins knew that MJ brought him there <laughs> <laughs> so he could coach how MJ wanted him to coach. Right. So that was a problem, I think, with with, with Stack and, and MJ. Okay. It was like Doug because Stack is from that, you know, the same area as MJ is from. I mean, Stack's yeah. from a, you know, a small town where, you know, you got to get it how you get it. And he's never going to back down. He's never going to take you know, what's your answer to no to be is never going to take that and just ride with that. Right. So it was always a, a constant, you know, butting of heads because Stack respected MJ so much, but he couldn't, he couldn't talk through Doug because MJ brought Doug. So mm -hmm. basically Doug was going to shit everything that Stack wanted. If Stack wanted the ball on mid post or Stack wanted to, like, he was shutting all of that down. Right. And for us, like for me, I'm like, okay, it's MJ, like, right, whatever. I, you know, I actually went to the bench because of that, but I was like, okay, so, you know, MJ wanted a certain pass, right? Cool, it's, it's MJ, right? That wasn't like that. So it's about the personalities of what, you know, which battles are you are you willing to fight? That's a good point. That's a good point. And so you mentioned Doug Collins, and right now, you know, we have a situation in the NBA where. The number of black coaches are quickly diminishing. You know, I mean, you you play for Coach Jordan, and you know it, it's it's interesting. So even taking someone like Coach Jordan, you know, I don't think I didn't think that he got the credit for achieving what he achieved in Washington. I mean, he got to the playoffs 
we were there consistently when before that it had been like 20 years. Like it wasn't before since when Chris Weber and them was there. And it's interesting because it seems like sometimes there's a different barometer that black coaches have in the NBA than white coaches have. I mean, that's that's just what I see. Uh, what, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? I think that that's, that has been true. You know, I think that there's the opportunities have been limited for sure. Um, I played for Eddie Jordan. I also played for Mike Brown. And I believe that both of those guys were um, coming in as, as first-time, you know, head coaches. And you're right. They don't get the credit that they deserve because, again, Washington started making a run to, to be in the playoffs. And, you know, Mike Brown was graced with, you know, the presence of LeBron James. So he gets a lot of, you know, a lot of that credit, you know, as far as to how that team went. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's tough, man, because I see, you know, when you look at the NBA and you look at jobs, you look at the, the coaches and you look at the, the you know, how the, the turnover is, you know, every year. And the number of coaches that jump from one head coaching job to the other, mm -hmm. It confuses me because if we're we're talking about these assistant coaches that are doing these amazing amazing jobs, like they should be first in line, right? I would believe, but at the same time, if and if a black coach is fired, then is there a guarantee that the replacement would be a black assistant coach? So that's where I struggle with, you know, the just the turnover of coaches because now we just had Doc Rivers go from a head coaching job with T. Lou and Sam as assistants mm -hmm. to Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. So yes, we still have a, a black coach in place, but again, it's about the recycling of the coaches that were already in place. So where do we, and when do we find the new talent? So I'm a little conflicted on, if you think about it, you know, from a black white standpoint, mm -hmm. as opposed to what sort of opportunities are we really, you know, giving these assistant coaches? It's interesting because I see opportunities for some um, happening a lot more than I see for others. And it's I, I can't help but notice the racial difference in, in, in those hires. Um, you know, when you talk about even with Mike Brown. I don't think that Mike Brown got the you know respect of what he accomplished with while he was with Cleveland. It was more thought, oh, well, he had LeBron, so it was really like LeBron's team. But I don't see that with white coaches of saying, oh, well, that's they had he had MJ and he had Pippen, or or he had Kobe and Shaq. It's like the white coach gets the credit as being the mastermind, you know, to be able to put all the pieces together. But I don't I don't see that with black coaches, and it's just it's it's interesting to me. I I saw that um, you know Byron Scott who had a lot of success in uh, New Jersey, um, had, you know, had a good, good stint in L.A., but he said that, you know, he feels that black players should advocate for um, black coaches the way that Kobe advocated for him. Uh, what do you think about that statement? I think it's about the personality. Uh, I think it's about the personality because, again, I'm not necessarily looking at the, the color of, of what that person looks like. Mm -hmm. It's the sort of conversation that we're having, how we're we relating to each other, uh, what's our basketball, you know, understanding of each other? Because we're not living together, but we do have to respect uh, each other, and we and we are, and we do have to service each other, right? Mm -hmm. You have to provide your knowledge, and I I have to provide, you know, my skill set. So I look at the two stars that were in 
in, in Brooklyn, you know, KD and Kyrie, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, Steve Nash as a, you know, one of our brothers, right? One of the guys that have mm-hmm. come through the league. I mean, we watched him play. We understand how great he is, but he's white. Mm-hmm. And those two stars really advocating for him to be their head coach. Mm-hmm. And that speaks to, does it really matter about the color of that coach's skin if we can have a working relationship with each other, we respect each other. That's the fine line that we've been fighting uh, as a minority um, for for as long as, as, as time has been around. And that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the fight that we'll continue to fight because again, you know, we can't have enough babies to, to be equal, right? In, in numbers, we, we, we can't produce enough. So we'll right. always be the minority. So I look at it as complete about can I respect what this coach is saying, right? Because respect is is what you do in front of me, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about plays. We're talking about, you know, salary moves or decisions that you have to make, mm-hmm. right? And then that slides to if it's about color, then if we're talking about racism, which racism is 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 everywhere. You can't get away from it. But those are things that are happening majority behind the scenes. So when I think about in the basketball space, um, because there's so many different faces, I really look at, you know, the respect factor. And if, if they're able to have respect for Steve Nash, I mean, how can you fight that? I agree. I agree with Steve Nash. And they had a good relationship in Golden State, him and KD, uh, which led to a lot of them advocating. And it's interesting that the point that you made as far as the having a relationship with the, the coaches and how that, you know, translates. And so what, I, what I've seen a lot is, NBA teams, just about every NBA team has black assistant coaches somewhere on the, 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 you know, the staff, some black assistant coaches somewhere. And, you know, you see the black assistant coaches being the ones that are talking to the players one-on-one that are in their ear, that are doing extra things. So you see that relationship, you know, but then when you look at the number of head coaches right now, we're at what, five out of 30? Like that's a, that's a big drop off for, for there to be so many black assistant coaches. And just as far as the, you know, in your experience, you know, I, you've had a lot of different coaches, you know, in your, you know, and it's kind of hard to compare because Doug Collins was a little bit different because it was a weird situation. You know what I mean? It was just a, it was just a weird situation. You Like you said, he was there for MJ. And I, I remember one time Doug coming in trying to relate. I'm a, you tell me if you remember this story. I remember him coming in. It was right after your video came out with Nelly, right? And he came into the locker room, and he was trying hard to connect with you. So I'm sitting over here on the side on the, on the charity table, and he's sitting there trying to sing along. Like He's like, I know this song, right? Nelly Kelly, right, Boog? Right, Boogie? Like, you know, trying hard to relate. And everybody was just kind of looking at him, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, like with the stone face. And it just didn't it, – it didn't feel – genuine it felt felt like it was forced and he was trying to and it didn't seem like it was successful at all as opposed to like i remember sometimes with with coach jordan he would pull you into the office and talk to you because he did that with everybody and just just rap with you and just what are you thinking what are your thoughts what and it just now maybe it's just that was just with them two in particular but it was kind of like night and day as far as the connection and being able to relate for me personally, I just want to get your your thoughts on that as well. No, I think that that's the beauty of, of you know sports and and you know our, obviously our sport, but that's where the world is going today. It's trying to figure out how do we relate to each other mm. and figure out 
you know, like you said, the assistant coaches are that bridge, they're right. that, that gap, right? They're, they're going to talk our language, but then again, they're going to talk the other language, right? So now the coach can understand what that player is actually going through or actually feeling or actually trying to say because there's, uh-huh. a, there's a gap there, there's a bridge there, there's a, there's a translation that's made. Um, because again, when I was with Doug, I mean, he would always be like, are you okay? Like, like he would be nervous because of, of just my, you know, how I am. And just demeanor. Yeah. yeah, just my demeanor is just like, it would make him nervous. He didn't really know what I was thinking. Right. Now, I realized that, uh, but there is a, there is a buffer, you know, on, on, on each team, you know, and they're normally the, the, the black guy. The black guy. But that's not, but that comes across as fake to me. I remember, I remember with Doug and then when they tried to send Milt Newton, remember Milt? Mm-hmm. All right, they try to send Milt Newton over to talk to me and relate to me, ask me about poetry and spoken word, ask me about being from the Caribbean. He has somebody from the Caribbean. And I'm sitting there looking at him like, because it's forced. It's not like natural. You know what I mean? So it, it was clear that they sent him there for that reason. Yeah. That don't that don't work, you know? Yeah. But that's that's the, but that's that's it, because now we've grown and like the players association, like they know that to be true. Uh-huh. So when you have the different programs that are set up is to not be fake and phony with the people that are coming in to have the conversations. Like we have to relate and figure out, you know, okay, if I'm going to have a conversation with each, like I'm not going to have the same sort of relatable things that I'm going to have with L as well. So I got to right. figure out what's going to say, you know, what's going to get each <laughs> to open up versus what's going to get, you know, Larry to open up. Yeah. And I think that that's the beauty of, like you said, like not being fake, like who yeah. can actually do that? It's like it's normally like people that look like us, yeah, that swag like us, yeah. that know how to translate and know how to play both sides, right? right. It's not usually the, the you know the, the white assistant coach because he can't necessarily play both sides, right? But it is the black guy now because again, that's how we've grown up. That's been our culture. We've you know had we've had to go from one side to the other side very quickly, right? And if you can relate and be that guy, you know. T. Lou, man, T. Lou's, you know, he's one of those guys. Yeah. Right? So, he's one of those guys. He's, he's, he's one of those guys that went from being that connector to actually being able to, to lead those guys to a championship. Mm-hmm. That's why he should be next up, you know, getting his shot and getting a, a, a long-term deal to be a head coach. I agree. So then to your point, then it should be invaluable to have a coach that can relate to players. And that then – makes me question even more why there aren't more black head coaches. You know what I mean? That that goes back to my original point. There's five out of 30 right now in the league. And I'm scratching my head sometimes. I'm like, well, if they have this strategy to have black assistants to relate to the players because they've seen that it comes across a little bit better, a little better connection, and they, you know what I mean? But it doesn't translate to the head coaching spot. And that's the part where, you know, I'm kind of puzzled by it. Like, why why is that? No, I think that that's what you said. Like now, you know, do we force players to put the pressure on, right? right. You know, do we have our sort of Rooney rule uh, that we put into place that we make sure that, you know, our guys are, are getting the, the fair opportunities or is there a percentage that we have to meet every year? I mean, there's, it, 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 are there things that we can do um, that equal the playing field because they haven't been done in the past and the numbers are only going down while the, the number of black assistant coaches are only going up and just the number of, of of imprints, the number of, of times that these assistant coaches are mentioned mm-hmm. 
it's crazy that that you know that they're not in the next line to to get that chance to be a head coaching job. It's not that they can do a great job as an assistant. Like these guys can really lead. Right. I agree. I agree. All right, Maz. Last question. Yeah. Um, Maz about the current Wizards. You talk about them a lot with your podcast. What do you see? What do you see working out with John Wall? What do you see working out with Bradley Bill with them connecting? I know John Wall had a little bump in the in the in this in this off season, but he's he's you know. Looking to come back, how strong do you think that they're going to be able to come back? A healthy John Wall. Uh, well, I, I, that's what you need. I mean, you need those those guys healthy, especially you know John, because I think with you know having a, a two pronged attack, you know, really at that combo guard, you know, that slash one two spot. I mean, it's important in this in this day and game. I mean, the way those guys can spread the floor, attack the basket, and then if they get you know bird times, which they need to resign him. I mean, he's a guy that can stretch the floor. Then they got to put active big guys that want to play defense, that want to close out, uh, that want to be the connection from offense to defense because Brad and John, they'll create enough offense. They just need some guys now to, to lock in on rebounding and rotations and, you know, being a defensive presence. So who do you think those others, Shaq always talks about the others that are important on the team. Who do you think those others can be um, on the Wizards team this coming up season? You know what? They're they're young. I mean, you got you got Hachi. Uh, you know, obviously was a rookie this year. Got his, his season cut short. So you know, you expect for him to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, more polished and understand what role he's going to play. Whether he's going to be that wing guy or more of a of a you know, you know, fifteen to eighteen and foot you know out guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, the, the what's going on with free agency? I mean, we don't know you know where guys are going to move. I think that's going to be their bet, their best bet to have. You know, some veterans come in that, you know, maybe are looking to transition into a, a different sort of deal, but have, you know, have good talent uh, okay. so they can start to build a good culture around, you know, those guys that they're picking up. Thomas Bryant is also another guy mm-hmm. uh, who's shown to, to be pretty good and, and have some size. So we'll see what what happen, what happens with him, too. All right. That's what's up. That's what's up. So what's next for you, man? What, what, what you got next on your plate? Man, I'm enjoying um, you know the family life and you know doing doing basketball. Um, I have an academy that I run here in St. Louis. Um, using technology to to really you know advance the game, but also you know gamify the game for the young people that just want to come out and have fun with it. You know, so it's tracking their stats. You know how they shoot the ball, how much time they spend on the court, their run, their jumps. You know what sort of arc that they're they're shooting at to make shots. So it's really helping them. You know, in, in a training aspect of know what they need to what they need to work on. And right now we're just working with a number of different pro athletes, Bobby Jackson and CP3. Uh, also have these these types of academies uh, that they're running as well. So just trying to, you know, create a better brand of basketball all while using, you know, some technology to do it. That's great. That's good stuff, man. Well, keep doing your thing, though. Um, you know what I'm saying? You're doing a lot of great stuff. Oh, my wife told me to tell your wife to tell hi. Tell them hi. So, I will. You know, Nicole and Carrie, they was – they were close here with in the locker room, so they had a good group. I will, and I was definitely gonna mention to the wife that we were jumping on today to definitely tell your wife what's up. Okay, that's what's up. Yeah. That's what's up. well. Stay safe down there, man, and keep doing your thing. Thanks for coming on. Yes, sir. You too, man. Hey, anytime, man. I appreciate it. Yep. Thank you for listening to the rematch. You can find more episodes on basketballnews.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. You can also find my articles on basketballnews.com along with exclusive content from Kenyon Martin, Vinny Del Negro, James Posey, and more.
Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AtonThomas36. Let me know what you thought of this episode and who you'd like to see as a guest. I would love your feedback.